filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Ben is yelling at me before he even presses the button to start recording. And Lightning round! No, not yet. Hold your fire. Uh, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Phil Buster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Yell-A-Lot Bromley and, and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. We write about DC United, and we have so much DC United stuff to talk about this week. Uh, in the second segment, we're going to have our good friend Travis Clark back on the show. He's from Top Drawer Soccer. He knows from uh, youth soccer and uh, college soccer. And he's going to talk to us a little bit about the MLS Super Draft and uh, one particular DC United Academy product who may or may not be joining the Black and Red next year. Uh, a lot of you may have heard of him. His name is Eric Williamson. We'll talk about him after the break as well. Before we do anything, though, Ben, Mr. Yelly, what are you drinking? So we, I, I've talked about this previously, but uh, about how my dad just imposed upon us uh, uh, Dos Equis and how we wrapped it up and had it uh, anchoring our Christmas tree. <laughs> well, we've now unanchored our Christmas tree and thrown it away. And so now the Dos Equis has... Uh, the, reappeared in our life. And so I'm taking one for the team and trying to reduce the population of Dos Equis in my house through consumption. Good. Good sacrifice there, buddy. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I was running very late in, uh, or, or I thought I was running very late before the, we started recording the show. So I just grabbed a glass and poured some bullet bourbon into it. And that's what I'm drinking. I have no story. Just I was late and this was fast. Jason, uh, I had a little a little bit more time uh, because my computer was extremely slow to restart. So I ended up having enough time to walk away and go make a drink. Um, so I, I last week I, I opened up a new bottle of tequila, the uh, El Padrino uh, Añejo. Um, I took that and I made something I've made on the show a couple times called the Oaxacan Old Fashioned. Um, where you take uh, three parts Reposado or Añejo tequila, one part uh, Mezcal, and you twist a little orange peel, uh, a little bit of uh, maybe a dash of bitters, a little um, uh, agave nectar preferably, um, which I had because I, I happened to get – I had to stop at a Starbucks and get uh, oatmeal for breakfast and they threw some agave in, and I was like, I was about to throw it away because it was a bunch of junk that I didn't want. And I was like, wait a minute, this isn't junk. Um, and so I saved the agave nectar and and tossed that in, uh, and uh, it's it's really good. Uh, if you have all of that stuff, I recommend you make one. Very nice. Like I said, we have a weirdly large amount of DC United news to get to for the the what the first full week in January. Um, so we're going to get to it. The MLS schedule is out. DC United knows when they will open up that new 
Stadium on Buzzard Point. Audi Field will make its MLS debut July 14th uh, against... It doesn't matter who it's against. It's against Vancouver, but you don't care about that. You care about it being July 14th. Can, uh, can I mention that it is sort of weird that it is Vancouver of all teams? It's like the team that we play once every four or five years, it feels like. Um, right. It would only be less impressive if it were uh, San Jose Earthquakes or something like that. I mean, we had we had that one. Maybe Minnesota. Time. Minnesota United would be even yeah. more. Sorry, Minnesota fans, but we, we had that, that one. That would be time. less impressive. We had that one stretch of time where we played Vancouver literally like once in a twenty-one month span. Because yeah, we, we played them very early, early season, one year, very then. late the next year. It was it was insane. Yeah, and it was basically like the Vancouver Whitecaps play soccer in a different league than we do, um, but they don't. It turns out. Uh, July 14th, coincidentally, a very auspicious day in in my reckoning. Um, it's my wedding anniversary, so that's where I'm going to be spending my sixth anniversary. That I'm doing a little dance right now. You can't tell. I'm pretty excited about that. DC United this year going to be uh, opening on the road. Obviously, the stadium's not ready till July. They will play 12 of their first 14 away from uh, the DMV. Uh, those other two are are going to be at locations TBD. Um, I think we talked about them a little bit last week where they might be. Uh, it sounds like uh, the, the Maryland soccer plex, all 5,200 Ooh. seats, is the front runner for the, the home opener in March. Blue Maryland. There'll be, be an April game also in Maryland in Annapolis at Navy Marine Corps Stadium out Blue there. Maryland. I, I give DC United immense credit for choosing the correct state in this matter. Twice. Blue Maryland. Did did you call it Barreland earlier, Ben? <laughs> Me? Did you say no. Boo Barreland? Wait, wait a minute. No, what, is, what is Barreland? Adam, what is Barreland? I don't know, but I'm picturing Maryland's flag with a bear face in the middle of it, and well, I'm so kind of delighted. Of it, I'm thinking of it as like aging stuff in barrels. Like, how is there not a, a distillery working under this principle already? Barrelland. Yes, I'm gonna. This is or how I'm gonna make park. my living. I'm quitting my job. <laughs> All right, this is trademark. This is trademark filibuster yeah, podcast uh, right now. Yeah, I, I own a third of this of Barrowland IP. Yeah, 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 it's fine. Um, we'll yeah. work that it'll be worth this. Is, this idea will be worth enough that, that we're all going to retire on this. Yes, uh, because surely I can definitely make booze from scratch, having never made it before. Barrowland Distillery and, having and no money Adult to Theme Park. This, this uh, startup. Uh, you know what? We'll start a Patreon for it. It'll be fine. Yeah, send me your money. I'll distill you some booze somehow. <laughs> this is going to go really, really well. Someone's going to end up blind. Don't, don't, don't buy Jason's prison booze. I mean, we're going to be lucky if we get to the point where somebody goes blind from drinking it because that means that the still didn't explode first. Well, what if I go blind in the explosion? I feel like that's not the usual route, but that probably makes be- it more likely for us. I think it's going to be Jason's bathtub. I don't think there'll even be a still. I did just clean my bathtub, like, literally yesterday, so (laughs) we're in business. (laughs) Booze, booze, booze. (laughs) Barrowland Distillery and uh, Grown Up Theme Park coming to Crofton 2018. Uh DC United going to play 12 of their last 15 and 7 of their last 8. On Buzzard Point, uh, before finishing the season in Chicago, I, they, I guess the league didn't want them to end on a major home stretch, so they threw in one last token road game there at the end uh, against the hated fire. 
I mean, the fire have ruined the end of DC United seasons in the past and that they weren't bad this year. So that, that could be an interesting game. Hopefully that last home stretch is for position with uh, the road stretch, the hole that DC United potentially will be in um, at the outset that that homestand is going to be pretty pivotal. I don't buy what, what, some people are saying that the hole they're going to be in will necessarily be insurmountable. I remember Toronto having major road trips before last year, even and sporting Kansas city, having a major road trip to start a season and all the ground they lost then was made up for. Um, and then some by the homestand at the end of the year. So he finished uh, atop the Western conference that year. Yeah. They, they had their best season ever to that date uh, that year. I, I think on points, so it can actually be a, a competitive advantage to have all your home games smashed together at the end of the year because that means less wear and tear at the end of the year when you're more prone to those kind of in- injuries and fatigue. It, it means so less travel then. Uh, it means you have a ton of momentum, right? Going right at the end of the year into the playoffs. It's not a bad situation uh, to be in once a lot in a lifetime. You don't want to do it all that often. Right. Uh, but it, it, I don't think it's this huge disadvantage that at least some people have made it out to be. Well, this is MLS. I mean, any, if you had to pick which half of the season you want to be good in, you always want to be better from like mid July through October, rather than being good from March to mid July. Um, if you need a good example, look at Orlando city last year who went, I think six or seven wins out of their first eight, something like that. And still missed the playoffs and actually uh, were from from that the end of their winning ways. Once that stopped, they were actually the worst team in MLS by a fairly comfortable distance. Um, You don't want to be that team that is clearly just run out of gas come September. You want to be the team that's on the rise in September. The number of MLS Cups that have been won by that team, whether it was, you know, Bruce Arena's Galaxies or Dom Kinnear's Houston Dynamo teams, uh, Brian Schmitz or Sounders? DC United in 1996. DC United yeah. in, in 2004, for that matter, um, didn't really get going until uh, Christian Gomez came in the summer window. So um, there are a ton of good examples of being that team on the up. And it's telling that MLS, the, the reporting is that MLS told DC United, no, you can't play all 17 of your home games. Uh, at the end, you've got to play a couple of them uh, outside of that uh outside of that window because of a, they cited a competitive advantage. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's telling that the, the way the league is set up, uh, it is better to have your schedule backloaded with home games. Um, I mean, really you just to, to make it a viable plan, you just have to get out of that first stretch without having lost every game. If you just pick up some points here and there, I mean, granted DC's two home away from home games are very important all of a sudden. Um, but yeah, if you can if you can get some points in there, if you can uh, get a couple draws, then you're probably going to be just fine when it comes down to the playoffs. As long as your if your team is bad, then you know it doesn't that, really matter. Yeah. You're not going to save yourself. But um, if you had to pick a structure, you would definitely prefer this sort of um, get rolling as summer turns into fall. That's the way to do it. Yeah, it also turns the that road trip into a potential team building extended team building exercise. It, it all comes down to how you manage it, obviously, um, both physically and mentally, socially within the the locker room. But it's 
you know, it's going to be a big test, but and it's usually, not insurmountable. Usually DC United, even in the ter- most terrible years, the locker room under Ben Olsen has never been a problem. Um, in 2010, in 2013, he managed to keep it together enough that they had the wherewithal to win an open cup somehow. Um, last season should have been one of those, like people are just angry with each other because not because they actually hate each other, but because that they're bad. It's a, unpleasant to be on a bad sports team for a long time. And yet they got through the year and we didn't even hear, we weren't hearing, you know, the old uh, Mark Birch gets into a fight with somebody as we used to hear back in the Tom Sohn days. Um, this though, though we, there, there has been Fabiana Spindola. Um, I think even Santino Caranta in 2010 got a little bit testy in sure. the locker room. And Ben Olsen said, at least in 2010, it's like, listen, we're really bad. I, that fire is not a bad thing. Fabi's fire is something else right. entirely. And I don't think attributable the, to, and that was a kind of ahead. a contained situation. Like it wasn't like his, his uh, problems turned into a whole locker room full of people who don't like each other. Um, he was one person who uh, is alleged to have assaulted a teammate, um, but that's it. It wasn't like a spindle destroyed the locker room. It was that a spindle had his problems, but the rest of the locker room was like, all right, that's him. The rest of us still get along pretty well um, for, you know, for all the issues the team has had uh, ups and downs. The one thing you can say is that if there's a team that's going to be good at coming together as a cohesive unit and sticking together through a tough opening spell, it's probably a Ben Olsen team uh, at DC United. They've been good at this for a while. Last year, their road record really wasn't that bad. It was just at home where they really, you know, ruined everything. Uh, For the first time in a few years, DC United uh, is in the top half of the league when it comes to national TV dates. This year, they're going to be on uh, one of the the national u.s broadcasts uh no fewer than 12 times depending on certain decisions the last couple weeks of the year it could be 13 maybe 14 but uh right now it's scheduled for 12 national tv dates with six of those originating from audi field so that'll be fun seeing united on fs1 and espn and univision and mundos or mundo telemundo what it Univision. Unimas. That's the one. That's the one. Not not Telemundo. I apologize. Uh, so national TV is a thing this year. That's fun. Uh, changing gears because we are in a little bit of a lightning round. As Ben lightning yelled, round yelled earlier and again just now. Uh, the U.S. national team January camp roster is out. Three current DC United players on it, along with Bill Hamid who has moved to Denmark um, this offseason. Paul Ariola. No Denmark surprise. is ridiculous. Uh, we don't have time to talk <laughs> about it in this episode, but I deep dove into Denmark's uh, uh, league system, and it is bonkers. You should record a bonus episode about it. It'll be fun. M- uh, maybe I should. Uh, Paul Ariola on the roster, no surprise. Russell Knauss on the roster, something we thought... Uh, w- should happen and would happen and it did um the surprise name on here is ian harks who uh obviously had a great college career had a some really strong moments for dc united last year as a rookie uh but might not be a starter in 2018 for dc united uh has a, a little bit of a hill to climb 
uh, to, to break into Ben Olsen's starting 11. But he's going to be out there in Carson for this and, and could be on the field against Bosnia in the friendly at the end of it. So congrats to, to Ian and, and everyone else who made that camp. One name that's not in there, and this is not a DC United matter, and I think a million other podcasts are talking about this, so we'll probably be pretty brief on this. Um, one name not in that camp is John, Jonathan Gonzalez, uh, who is an 18-year-old central midfield phenom, and he is filing his one-time switch to L3, and it's really sad and also angry-making because this should have been entirely preventable. This is not a case of someone wanting to go abroad to test themselves in Europe like Bill Hamid or or Perry Kitchen did with DC United. This is, it, it sounds like may have been a player who felt less than appreciated to the, by the team he had committed to and was recruited heavily by another team he was eligible for. So he is going to be playing for Mexico um, obviously missing the World Cup made this possibility uh, stronger as well. Jason, really quickly, what what is the U.S. missing out without Jonathan Gonzalez? Uh, I mean, he's a Liga Emekis best 11 player yeah. at 18. A starter on Monterey, which is a huge deal. Um, at 18, he pushed uh, Jesus Medina to the bench. Jesus Medina plays for Mexico. Um, he's been in camps for them. Um yeah, this is a it's a big deal. He was the best defensive midfield prospect in the U.S. pipeline. Um, I know we have a bunch of pretty good prospects there, but he was head and shoulders above that group. Um, he was something special, um, or he is something special. He's just going to be something special for Mexico. Um, and the nature of how U.S. soccer opened the door for this to happen um, is just – it's – uh, it, it's almost as big of a debacle as failing to win the World Cup because this one really shouldn't have been an issue. And even in the thing is, the thing that kills me is that they didn't even put their best foot forward to court him to come stick with because he'd been in the youth national team program. They didn't. They didn't make it so that it was. You know, it's one thing if he chooses Mexico and you say, okay, we gave our best shot at this and it didn't work out. Oh well, this was like watching your team totally unprepared to play and just getting ripped apart. Um, this was one of those. And it's just, it's so galling after getting the wake up call of missing the world cup to then immediately turn around and screw up your very next challenge from the same kind of things that you just, you just failed at before. Um, and to see, I know Dave Sarakin was on extra time radio and he said that he didn't see too much wrong with their prep for the Trinidad and Tobago game. It just says everything about, the folks that are running yeah. the show right now. It's not good. <laughs> and I, I also blame uh, Todd Ramos as one of the most senior, like permanently employed U.S. soccer uh, people at this point, the youth technical director. Uh, and he also wasn't, I mean, we don't know what, what his role is specifically in calling up players, but he also allowed this to happen and he is on the permanent payroll. So you have to, uh, give him some of the blame as I mean, well. Yeah. At this point, it's a little bit uh, about calling up 
Gonzalez because he was he, he wasn't called up for the Portugal friendly. That's completely defensible. Not be, right. because he had he had a big game because Monterey had a Copa yes. Mekis game or sorry yeah Monterey had a game the next yes. day after that Portugal friendly. It made total sense to leave him with them. Monterey went on to win that, um, and Gonzalez called it you know one of the high points of his career, uh, his very young career. So leaving him off that squad made total sense, especially because Monterey asked right. that he be left off. Not calling Gonzalez directly to talk with him about this, not keeping the lines of communication constantly open with your top midfield prospect. Um, yeah. it borders on I mean, criminal. I, it's, it's ridiculous negligence. In my mind, the thing is, we should have been a lot closer to putting him off by being a pest. By just being constantly like, hey, John, how's it going? How you doing? Um, That should have been the problem. And instead it was like, well, this is done. He's definitely going to play for us. So we don't have to worry about anything else, even though we missed the World Cup. We have nothing to worry about. There's been speculation. Definitely not going to try and compete here. And then they did because they're smart and they they did the best they could. And he was like, you know what? Maybe the best choice for me, because I mean, when you start to look at it just as a a personal decision and not just an emotional decision, but as a like security for my family decision, you play for, you play in a world cup at 18 or or at 19 as he'll be next year. If he makes the Mexico roster, um, he's in the biggest shop window by far in the world. I mean, one good game in a world cup can make you a millionaire for the rest of your life. Um, Right. And he's already, he's already a mobbed on the street celebrity in in monterey in a he's he's but he could big deal next step to a top league in europe yeah based on good play next summer um so Mm -hmm. yeah um missing the world cup probably is a it's probably a factor we don't know we don't know exactly um the number of things that you know we are talking about someone with one foot in one country one foot in another in terms of his own uh, upbringing, so we have to respect that. Right. For those who don't know, he was born in California. His parents emigrated from Mexico. Right. Uh, he played in the U.S. youth system coming up right. at so he's not a, basically every level. He's not for, a slip through the cracks guy. He's a guy that they identified early and kept right. in the system. Um, right. I don't know why he was left off of the U-20 World Cup roster. He seems he's a better... He, he broke in with Monterey shortly after that there, there, there tournament. Were, there were but, rumors of there were rumors of things between him and Tab Ramos that would involve another whole right. episode. Basically, of us mistakes discussing. were made, okay. and the mistakes are on U.S. Soccer's yeah. side of the ball. As as seems yeah, to be it, a recurring no, theme in everything that U.S. Soccer touches these days. Yeah, like, you, you can't fault just, Gonzalez at all for yeah. this decision. It, it's a personal. Decision. It's a completely reasonable decision on right. his part, and it's even if we couldn't see that, it's for you. his decision to make. Right, he made this decision right, for exactly. him and his family, and that's that's it. Um, and yeah. whatever way he goes, he goes. Um, but you you want to if you're going to get picked uh, or if you're going to get you know set aside like this and and have him pick the other country that he could play for, you want to at least be sure that you covered all your bases and did the best you could. And instead, it's like the U.S. soccer almost kicked him out of the door. Like, go ahead, go ahead, talk to Mexico. We don't care. Um, Whereas Juan Carlos Osorio uh, was visiting him at his family home. Um, and it's just, it's the kind of thing that would, that I'm not getting mad about it only because it would make me mad for days. Um, I'm, I'm making a personal decision of my own to just push it aside because it's so stupid. Let's take those feelings. Yeah, let's yeah. move on. Shove them down. 
and just push him down, put a cork right on top. US of soccer is uh, dumb and, and bad these days. Yeah, that's my and ending thought. The form, of that, the form of that cork is going to be going back to talking about DC United, who signed themselves a goalkeeper. Uh, we we talked about last week on the show that uh, they had traded for the rights to David Osted. Uh, it may have been contingent on the trade may have been contingent on them actually signing Osted. It doesn't matter now because they did sign David Osted. Uh, it sounds like two years uh, around four hundred, four hundred fifty thousand dollars is are the numbers I saw kicked around for salary. Uh, they sent a the, the their second round pick in next week's MLS Super Draft to Vancouver in exchange for Osted's rights. He's Ben. He's got to be. Um, I mean, it's going to be a competition for goalkeeper, but right now you have to figure Osted probably has the inside track over Steve Clark. Yeah, definitely. Even though Osted had a seemingly uh, down year this year, uh, he's still a very good MLS goalkeeper. He probably shouldn't have been benched in Vancouver. Uh, that's Vancouver being the tire fire that they are uh, out there. So, and getting him for a second round draft pick, uh, I mean, we've all seen what the draft uh, is now, and we'll talk in the uh, next segment about uh, the draft with Travis Clark, but um, you're not going to get a anywhere close to a David Osted caliber player for the uh, for a second round draft pick. So uh, all of that is, is, is great business. And uh, I think at this point, he's the favorite to start for DC United come opening day. Uh, but I think he and Steve Clark are, are going to make each other better. So uh, that's I, this is the best situation I could think of if we had to go into a post-Bill Hamid era, which we obviously did because he's gone to FC Michelin. But um, given that, I think this is the best uh, situation possible, having two solid MLS uh, starter caliber goalkeepers uh, battling it out all preseason to see who will be the starter come opening day. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I agree with with Ben that that Osted has to be considered the favorite at this point. Um, I was thinking about earlier um, what makes him, what gives him the edge over Clark, in my opinion, and it's it's a lot of small edges. Um, I think he he and Clark are probably level in terms of making that dramatic save. They're both really good at that. They both have a tendency to make that. Um, you know that save where it looks like all is lost, which is a Bill Hamid quality as well. Um, so that's good. We have that guy that can bail you out, um, when everything else has gone wrong. Um, but I think Osted's hands are a little more secure. He's less likely to give up rebounds. Um, I think he's a little better at getting big when he comes off of his line and making the goal look a little small for, for shooters when, when you've allowed, uh, someone to break in by themselves. Um, I think, how is he reading aerial balls? Uh, because yeah. I know that was one spot where where you right. put in some criticism of Clark uh, last I year. I would say that is probably the biggest edge he has. That and his organizational ability. If you watch the Whitecaps play, um, and part of the reason the Whitecaps have a good defensive record in the last couple of years is is talent and also Carl Robinson. I mean, if you guys think DC United plays defensive soccer, please watch some White Whitecaps games. Um, don't no don't please don't inflict that but upon yourself. Even with that in place, it doesn't work unless you're very organized. And David Osted is is 
a very big voice uh, for that back four um, and really that that whole defensive structure, not just the back four, um, and getting them in the right positions, getting them to move when they need to. Um, I think those are the two biggest advantages he has. Um, but a lot of the rest of the qualities that he has as a goalkeeper, he's maybe just a hair ahead of Steve Clark. But, you know, if you're ahead by a hair on over and over and over again, then eventually you're going to end up as ahead. Um, I thought it was kind of crazy that he got benched. Um, Stefan Marinovich isn't anything special. Um, I think maybe Robinson was trying to spark a reaction. He Maybe he sensed a general lull in his squad and was just trying to do something, um, which wasn't really a good idea, I don't think. Um, but uh, I feel like if he's, you know, David Osted seems like he's a little irritated by how that all went down. He's also irritated at MLS for, um, he was on the verge of joining the Galaxy and MLS said you can't do it that way. Um, because our rules are crazy. And, and it was a thing that only applied to him because of where his salary was. Right. And it, right. And it ended up basically being from the sounds of it close to a one third pay cut, right? A, which amounts to $200,000 a year yes. pay cut that he had to take. Right. So I, I, that, that's a, that's a lot pretty of big chip um, to carry right. on your shoulder. So he yeah. has every reason to be irritated at his old club. He has every reason to be irritated at his situation in general. Um, but he strikes me as the Ooh, kind of guy who's going to that, that add that. Go ahead. That, that does add, you know, make me care about the opponent in, in the opener on buzzard point a little bit more knowing Osted oh, will yeah. be potentially facing his former club who kind of screwed right. him. Um, uh, in that first game that that creates some drama that right. you know doesn't you don't right. need it for the opener at Audi field but it, it definitely right. creates and some. all of this is provided that you know we the steve clark we saw in 2017 i don't think that was the best of steve clark um he looked to right. me like he had been out of soccer for two months he'd been a free agent just living uh i believe back in columbus where he'd bought a house before he moved back to uh scandinavia briefly um, he looked very rusty, um, in my opinion. And I, I do think that the one thing that everyone at DC United has said over and over about Steve Clark is that he is going to give everything he has to try and make sure that he is the starter come opening day. Um, so even though we're sitting here saying that David Osted is the favorite and, you know, in, to my mind, at least if they both play their best, then Osted will definitely be the starter, but he is going to have to come in and be at his best. If he's, taking the whole off-season distraction, if he takes it wrong and it's just sort of in his head a little bit, if he's lost some confidence, if he's just not in the right headspace, Clark can beat him to the starting job. Um, if he's Steve Clark yeah. that was almost goalkeeper of the year one year and uh, backstop an MLS Cup finalist, you know, forget what happened to him in the first minute of that game. They got there and it was in part because he played, you know, pretty much as good as he can play. Um, so it is going to be a real competition. This is not a, you know, we, we, we had this com- uh, conversation, um, as a site, uh, Steven, Steven Streff brought up, you know, when was the last time DC United had a goalkeeper competition? And one of the things I noted was like, well, there was a season where Steve Cronin was brought in to compete in scare quotes with Bill Hamid. <laughs> this is not a competition like that. This is a very real, um, the starting job is out there and someone's going to take it. Uh, but it's going to take everything from both of them to get it. And, that's a good place to start because I feel like last year's team didn't have enough of that all over the field. Um, and, and those competitions, they bleed into the rest of the team and all of a sudden everyone is trying their very best because they know they have to. 
Uh, we have two more things to get to. Uh, I'll dispense with the first one pretty quickly. Perry Kitchen uh, has signed with MLS and the LA Galaxy. Uh, DC United retained his rights when he went to Europe. Dollar, dollar bill, y'all. Yeah, DC United retained his rights when he went to uh, Scotland to, to sign with Hart, Hearts out there. Um, he eventually moved to Randers, and then now he's coming back. And just like DC United had to pay the Galaxy, coincidentally, for Paul Areola's rights because he spent, you know, had a cup of coffee in their academy, LA Galaxy has to send some Garber Bucks to DC United for the right to sign Perry Kitchen. 300000 in total, um, 100000 of general allocation money, which is super flexible and is basically just an increase in your salary cap. And then $200,000 in targeted allocation money, the, the fabled TAM, that can be used on a, a certain subset of players. It's super important, but not quite as valuable as GAM, general allocation money. Or should it be JAM? I don't know. No. <laughs> it's GIF. It's GIF, not GIF. Yeah, it's GIF and, the, and GAM. The inventor uh, of, of GIFs can go to hell. He's wrong. He can suck a lemon. Or is it Jim? Not welcome on this show. No, it's not a German. What the, what the spark? Uh, Perry Kitchen. Uh, I don't think he had much interest signing with DC United, which is sad. DC United didn't have a lot of interest in in signing him. He, from what I understand, is a TAM level player for the Galaxy, which is the kind of contract DC United offered him two years ago when they didn't have Russell Knauss and. Uh, Ian Harks and Ulysses Segura and Junior Moreno on the roster. And when Chris Durkin was, was, you know, a couple years younger as well. So uh, this makes sense for all parties. He's going to be out there in LA partnering probably with Jonathan Dos Santos in the midfield. Uh, it makes them better, which sucks, but uh, you know, I wish him all the individual success and all the team failure that, that he could stand out there in LA. Uh Last thing on uh, this segment before we bring Travis on is silly season. There's uh, reports out of Columbus that their two biggest name attackers, uh, well, I guess two of their three biggest name attackers, want out. Ola Kamara, their, their goal-scoring center forward, and Justin Miram, their goal-scoring left wing and backup number 10, uh, both seem to uh, want a new challenge or a new contract, depending on, on which one you, you talk to Ben would either of them strike your fancy for, for DC United. Yes. Give me Ola Kamara right now, right now, right now. Send, send all of that 300,000 in Tam and Gam that uh, LA just gave us. And, and it's going to take a more. lot. More. Yeah. I know uh, the first round pick and send that to Columbus. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I'd live with I that. want Ola. Kam- I want Ola Kamara on this team. Ola, he has scored. He has scored fifteen plus goals in the last really two like seasons. Each that's of the last the kind two of player. Seasons, yeah. That, yeah, that's what I'm saying. And that's the kind of player that DC United needs right now. And I feel like even though it's going to be expensive to get him within the league, it's going to be less expensive than getting that kind of player. Like that kind of player that you know can do that from outside and, and the league. Let's not forget Ola Kamara went like. Was it eight to ten games uh, in 2016 before he actually got on the field? Because Kai Kamara was still in Columbus at the time, so he's managed those goal scoring totals with like 
one and like one point six seasons. Um, so yeah, he's been a roaring success, and Ben's right. I mean, yeah, the, the classic the price tag here. The classic metric oh, is. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> uh, the classic metric is uh, one goal every right. other game for for a striker. That's what you want, and he has eclipsed right. that easily. He's he's I think around one goal every game right. and a half. Um, and then if you factor assists in, it's even better. He's he's a top quality MLS player, and I think would fit with DC. Yeah, United. I think he would fit the the style of play that I, I feel like Mendelson wants his team to be a transition attacking team. I think he wants to play the the style we saw at the end of 2016. I think that is where he would like the team to. I think that's what he wants ideally. And Ola Kamara can play that style. The good news is that he can also play a little bit of a slower pace style, like Columbus's possession-based game. Um, he can play. They had that three-four-three they tried. That was a counterattack-based uh, formation. He can play that way. Um, he can do pretty much everything DC United would want. Um, and yeah, Ben brings up a good point. Um, you're getting a sure thing. So yes, it's it's perfectly fine to overpay for a sure thing. Uh, as long as you're not overpaying to the point that you're breaking yourselves. Um, whereas if you go in the transfer market, A, you might have to pay more, and B, you're not getting a sure thing. Um, we've seen DC United end up picking the wrong number nine um, when they had the money to go get one. Hamdi Salihi was a good player, but he wasn't a good player for DC United. Um, we know what Ola Kamara can do. So if uh, DC United wants to make a move and they want to – make a big splash. That's the kind of player they should be going after. And they might have to pay a Dom Dwyer level, um, uh, trade bill to make that work. But you have to look at this roster and say like, what is the thing that this team needs, uh, more than anything else? And it's either goals or fullbacks. Um, and fullbacks, <laughs> you can find fullbacks. You can't find they at least goals. have bodies to start at right. fullback. Um, yeah. well, the thing is you, you can't find goals at a level of, of Ola Kamara. Um, and I think the fact that he'd be a sure thing makes it that much more appealing. Um, they're not going to be the only team. We, we don't even know if they've made that phone call. They might have somebody else lined up that they've already said, this is our guy. Um, but if they're calling Columbus saying, hey, we want to get in on this uh, Ola Kamara deal, if he wants out, let, you know, let us know what the deal is. They're not going to be the only team making that phone call. I, know, I guarantee you Sporting Kansas City is making that call. Uh, FC Dallas probably should be making that call, given that Christian Coleman was terrible last year. Um, there are a lot of teams that should be pursuing uh, Ola Kamara pretty heavily, which means there's going to be a, kind of a bidding war. The uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, but if I'm DC United and I haven't lined up the absolute perfect guy from abroad, I'm thinking, why don't we just take this uh, that we know is going to work? We know that this is a guy that can put up 15 plus goals this year. Um, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, you, you. Yeah, you send half a million in some combination of allocation money this year, another half a million next year, throw in the first round pick. I think that I don't know that that would be enough to do it, but that is a price that I think would be reasonable and that DC United could afford, especially if they buy some of this discretionary TAM to make it up on, you know, the back end, uh, which you can't trade, but you've already traded away the other TAM. So you don't need to trade that part away. You can actually use it. Uh, it's funny we we didn't even mention Justin Miram during that. Who's a pretty good player? Uh, yeah, if, if this had been if this had been last summer, I'd have been yeah. all in on Justin Miram. Yeah, but now that the, the team has signed Zoltan Stieber and Paul Ariola, he's right. not as 
uh, attra- and Darren Maddox, he's not as attractive as he was right. last year. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. He's not as good of a fit for DC United's needs right now. And yeah, that that's what I was going to get at. Thank you for, for putting it that way, Ben. That was very good. Very concise. Yeah. Very appropriate for the lightning round, which is now over. Um, it was never started because that was not lightning at all. Our lightning rounds <laughs> never are. <laughs> that's, sometimes. That's, that's no, the not. joke. We lightning will be... Round. We will be right back with Travis Clark to talk MLS draft and uh, DC United homegrown signing that sounds like it's not going to be. Please stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Joining us now is... Travis Clark, as he does every year around this time, the uh, MLS Super Draft is just around the corner next Friday, January 19th. Travis, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. I think this is the fourth or fifth year in a row. This is for my annual filibuster. At least it might even be six. Like, I think you were on our show the first, (laughs) like within the first month that our podcast existed. I think you were a guest on the show. And you've just been coming back every year since. You haven't gotten tired of our stupid goat jokes. Hold it's on. always a good change of pace. Our awesome goat jokes. Ben, did you say hold on? I said hold on. Oh. Because the goat jokes are awesome. Ah. <laughs> anyway, now that I've completely lost all forward momentum. Uh, Travis, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some milk. That's all. Warm milk or cold milk? Cold 2%. milk. 2%. That's a good choice. Cold milk? Skin? Warm milk is... We do 2% in our household because also of a good my choice. son. You know, with a, what, three-year-old? He requires Yeah, it's that. true. Or actually, that's the that's the route we've chosen yeah, to take, Yeah, our doctors recommended 2% for our kid, so we, we go where the doctors tell us. I know some people do whole milk, but I've just... We did just for a time. Right. Uh, when she when she was yeah, little, yeah. Third time, same here. We're 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 still doing whole milk, but she doesn't like whole milk that much. We she gets all of her dairy through uh, yogurt. 
She loves yogurt yeah. and will yell at you if you take away the yogurt. Yeah, ours wants yogurt for at least two meals a day, and we limit it to one. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that's a little bit. I drink whole milk. <laughs> what about your kids, Jason? Don't... Did someone say no. anything? <laughs> no kids, just me. Whole milk. Uh, three-year-olds and, and smaller are a little bit younger than the age range we're planning on talking about tonight it's draft season the combine starts this week down in florida and the draft is next week sorry the super draft presented by some corporate sponsor is next friday up in philadelphia um and that is what we're talking about travis um there there have been at least some words put out there about the the general weakness of, of this draft class. Do, do you think that's right? Is this a, at least compared to some recent years, is this a pretty weak draft class coming into MLS? I think it's going to be the same as we've kind of seen over the past few years. I don't know if how closely people follow it, but the, you know, it's sort of the same story. There are a few players here and there that if you hit the right, I guess I don't want to say the right spot, but you know, the, if the players find the right situations or the teams are willing to actually work on a player's development and transition instead of bringing them aboard and saying, oh, well, you're going to contribute to us right away. I think that you can, you'll probably see the same amount of players, you know, what, five to seven, that'll play decent amount of minutes in MLS this year, maybe two or three kind of go above and beyond that. I think with with the expansion teams, with LAFC, Maybe there's a few more opportunities for, you know, a random third or fourth rounder to to do something, but it'll be kind of the same as it ever was. Really. Uh, DC United has the third pick in this year's draft behind uh, both LA teams. Weirdly enough, um, Dave Casper and Ben Olsen pretty famously, at least in our, in my mind, uh, draft for draft, draft the best available talent the best whoever they rate as the best player uh without much regard for position of need for the team so uh number three is a pretty easy spot to to hit a a player on that's where they got perry kitchen a while back um more news on him in the other segment but who are your your top three names on on your board coming into this draft So I think a lot of it will depend on how international slots fit into this when I'm looking at it. My, I guess the top three on our big board, Francis Atuahene from Michigan, Emma Tuomasi from Wake Forest, and uh, Tomas Siliardarte from Stanford. So I think if DC wants to go the Mm -hmm. sort of the international GA route, they have five choices to pick from. And you think like, uh, you know, it's kind of whoever LA doesn't pick, that's the route that DC could take. Um, whether that's Hilliard Arche or, you know, Tuma, you know, not that those three are guaranteed to be picked, mind you, but it's it's always one one of the harder things to predict in the draft, well, besides the whole draft itself, of course, is the generation Adidas contracts, whether it inflates or deflates a player's value. The senior contracts sometimes even deflate the player value. But, you know, one of those three picks makes sense. The other... To uh, Mason Toy, the generation Adidas Ford from Indiana, and Christopher Mueller, uh, sort of a, a dribbly attacker that could fit out wide, I think, for, uh, from Wisconsin. So 
if DC picks anyone besides <laughs> those five players, which of course is probably going to happen now that I've said it, I'd be surprised. But those are the kind of the, when you look at, I don't want to say even the right fit, but you know, as we're talking best players uh, available, I think Travis, I guess I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, Mason toy because I know DC's international spots, especially now that they've added David Osted, they're, they're kind of maxed out. Um, so I've been wondering, you know, the generation ideas class is just, it's five international right now, at least they might add more, but right now there's five international players and Mason toy is the one, uh, domestic, uh, player, which I think to my mind, at least makes him maybe more attractive to DC than the rest of the group, just on, you know, the roster reality they've sort of, uh, backed themselves into. Um, tell us a little bit about him. I know he's, he's only a freshman. He's, uh, I believe he's 19. He's a target forward. Um, I know he was in Orlando City's academy, but um, I only saw him play once, so I'm going to have to defer to you on on what his game is all about. So yeah, he's a big big kid, six foot three, one 180 pounds, soft feet. Uh, I think that he's actually from New Jersey and played at PDA. He actually played. He's very very unique beyond the whole. Um, he being the lone American in the Generation Adidas class, but he also he played high school soccer his senior year, which nowadays is unheard of. And then sort of he played the fall season in New Jersey, like dominated was player of the year, actually played some high school basketball. I don't think that year, but at some point, uh, but then I actually saw him play in the uh, December, 2016 for uh, PDA where he started turning out, scoring a bunch of goals. He actually was partnered with uh, Isaiah young, who is now at Verde Brahman's U 23s. So I think he's someone that you could find success in MLS uh, you know, he, when you, as cynical as it is to kind of be like, well, you know, physically he can compete, but it's whether or not he has that mentality and how much he wants to improve and how much DC is willing to, you know, stick a 19, 20 year old kid up front and get him the minutes that he needs to develop, whether that's there. Uh, I know obviously they could park him down in Richmond, but uh, I think he's somebody that could actually end up contributing this year. And you, there's a lot of variable. I think he's a little less certain than some of the other guys, but at the same time, not an international. He has kind of that physique and the ability, I, I feel like to compete, whether or not it's the mentality he has and, you know, can get, can handle being pushed around by MLS center backs and pushed back. I think that'll be of a big factor in his success or not. So speaking of Richmond, um, for the first time in my recent memory, at least, uh, the highest rated uh, prospect out of the DMV is actually from Richmond and from VCU with Rafael Santos. Um, I don't think he's a necessarily a DC United prospect, but where do you see him going? And what do you make of the DMV not having a, uh, a bevy of good prospects this year. The next one seems maybe to be Gordon Wild, who seems to be a mid to late projected prospect, mid to late first round projected prospect. Well, yeah, you know, it's an interesting one. Uh, Santos is a Brazilian number 10, and I think that he can provide an impact if a team is willing to bring him on and say, okay, we're actually going to play you as a number 10. You know, he's a left footed at players and actually he's uh, from Brazil and, came through, I think it was Palmyris. I don't, I don't remember the academy, but he played some left back there. So you could even draft him as a number 10. or That classic number 10 slash fullback. The coach so desires. I, 
you know, he's somebody that I would expect to see taken in the first round, but at the same time, you just never know because he, he's somebody that has that international status that he brings with him. And I don't think there's anything too huge to make of it. it. It's part of the whole trend of the draft where, you know, a lot of the best players that Maryland or Virginia has, uh, if we're talking DMV specifically, uh, they're already tied to homegrown player status. So, you know, a player uh, like Eric Williamson, for example, isn't in the draft pool and isn't under consideration because it's either DCU homegrown or signing abroad, which, you know, we can get to later. I think, you know, Virginia has uh, Pablo Aguilar. He's going to the combine. And then uh, goalkeeper Jeff Caldwell, who with goalkeepers are sort of the same as international players where it's like, well, they're, they're good, but, you know, when is a player, when is a goalkeeper going to get drafted? It could be in the top 10, like we've seen Generation Adidas goalkeepers go, or it can be like in the fourth round, even if they're a pretty good prospect. So, um, you know, that you can't make too much of it. It's just sort of the nature of, what the draft is and part of the reason why I refuse to call it the super draft. <laughs> <laughs> and keeping on the DMV theme, where do you think, uh, do you think D, uh, DC United is going to try and get with Gordon Wild since he is a Maryland based goal scorer, although not as much this season, or do you think he's going to go elsewhere? I would expect him to go elsewhere. He's somebody that I feel like he's probably taken a low generation Adidas offer he you know he's a german forward he's left-footed he's he was had a great year in 2016 not so much in 2017 but i still i feel like i watched him in the first couple games and he just seemed like he was not fully fit and if you're battling an injury and playing through it in college soccer it's like it can basically derail your whole season so a lot of times players just trying to gut it out and you know perhaps that's an explanation for why he you know kind of fell on his face form wise but uh, you know, if if we're talking about someone like Mason Toy versus Gordon Wilde, you'd obviously I would lean towards Toy, whether because he's an American. You know, he's got a little bit more of a clear position. I wouldn't necessarily stick Wilde up front. You already have a left-footed forward from Maryland on the DC United roster <laughs> for crying out loud, right? So uh, I would be surprised to see him end up being picked by DC. Um, it's it's interesting thinking about some of these um. The, the the continuing trend towards more and more internationals being the best players coming out of college because not only is the Generation Adidas pool um, stocked with players that are internationals, but um, generally speaking, the Herman Trophy winner is is usually sought after pretty hard uh, by a bunch of MLS clubs. But this year, uh, it's John Baccaro, who is Spanish. Um, uh, he's a great pedigree. Uh, he I think it was, what, 16 goals, 14 assists this year. Uh, his father played for Spain. Um yeah. Um, so, so he's got, uh, obviously a lot of things going for him, but, um, it's, it's weird to see that, um, you come to the draft now and it's an almost like you have to be, you have, almost have to have that international spot to take advantage of some of these great players. Like, um, in another year, Joao Moutinho from Akron, um, being a 19 year old, uh, would probably be pretty highly targeted. I feel like, but the fact that he is international means he probably falls off a little bit. Um, do you think that that's gonna that trend is gonna continue ticking up, or or have we kind of hit the peak of the international player coming through college soccer? I, I think it's only going to continue to increase, whether it's for the draft or just talking about college soccer itself, because you know the elite American player, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, is being told by the U.S. Soccer Federation coaches to go pro, whether that's 
here in the U.S. or abroad in Europe. So, uh, you know, obviously there are still some domestic players out there that are going the college route, but uh, the, those that are are usually ones that have come through an MLS academy, you know, kind of as, as I talked before. So, you know, I don't know if this is going to be a, like, in the next two, three years, you'll see the draft continue, like whether this number of internationals will increase. I feel like there's going to be an artificial ceiling because on the flip side of that, if you are a, an MLS team and you're looking to bring in international talent, wouldn't you rather, you know, go for the 18, 19 year old that hasn't played college soccer? I think, I think Moutinho is somebody who in, in years previously wouldn't have gone pro now because if you had a little bit of a stronger generation Adidas class, uh, you know, he, he played as a center back and he's like five foot 10 and looks like he weighs about 140 pounds. He's not a imposing figure. He's likely to play outside as a left back or uh, I think he could be a pretty good number mm-hmm. six. Now he's a great player, good technical, like very clean. One of the, the most composed players out there in this draft pool. But, you know, there are so many variables in it, whether that's his physical development or like, like you said, his international status. So uh, I think that answered your question, but I'm not really sure. I'm just kind of rambling now. No, that's fine. That's what we're that's that's what we come to expect from all from everyone on I the show. Means, and you've been on enough times. It means that we've been rubbing off on you. Yeah, um, uh, fair enough. Um, you know, I, I guess my other question: I, the player that's come up with people asking me questions about the draft, the player that's come up the most, I think by far, is uh, Tomas Hilliard Arce from from Stanford. Same. Um, what is what? Go I said ahead, same. Adam. Oh, um, I guess uh, since he's he's the guy that people want to talk about, um, tell us a little bit should about I, who. Can I talk about him? Then? Yeah, go ahead. So he's a he's a Stanford captain, won three straight national titles, and is a pretty much no nonsense center back. He you know he reminds me a lot of uh, a familiar name to DC United fans, Steve Birnbaum. You know, Pac twelve player, not like a huge center back. He's six foot one. But he wins everything in the air. I think he's a little bit less composed on the ball, kind of one-footed. But when you look at kind of what he's accomplished and how he carries himself on the field, he just strikes me as a player that you pick him, you know, whether it's as a number one overall or a number 10 overall pick, whatever. You know, he, he may not have the biggest ceiling, but he's a guy that you can count, bring in and count on. So you look at him. And maybe he's not the you know the hulking monster at the back, but he kind of plays like that. He wins everything on set pieces. You know he scores he scored big goals for Stanford in big games. Like he's pretty much able to do it all. And whether that's as a you know a backup center back to start the season or somebody that could come compete in the job in a job right away, he's kind of a rare breed where you look at him and you think, okay, you know we bring this guy in, and I think he can give us something in 2018. So. I think he's somebody you know DC United could consider. Obviously, they brought they have I think what three center backs who they probably like. Okay, so you know perhaps they shy away from it, but uh, it would be a surprise to see him go below the top five. I would say, but you know of course now that I said that it's going to happen, right? Just bookmark this part, right, yeah. part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that DC United might do is trade down. There are a couple of teams, Montreal Impact and New England Revolution, who have multiple first-round picks and maybe, uh, I feel like especially the Revs, but might want to move up. So if DC United moves down, I feel like they might want to take a fullback since they only have two actual fullbacks on the roster right now. Uh, I know uh, fullbacks like uh, 
Tim Kugel and Tristan Blackman are uh, well rated. But if if DC United trades down into the uh, eight to twelve range and tries to take a fullback, who do you think they might try and target down there? Yeah, there's there's not a ton of fullbacks. I think you know, maybe if the, depending on what the international situation you go with, you go the Moutinho route and say, okay, we're going to bring you in. You're going to develop you as a left back behind. Um, Taylor Kemp, that's his name. Sorry, I forgot his name. Um, <laughs> Justin Fittis is a guy, pretty quick, left back from Washington. He's probably, I, I would have to kind of dig deep in where kind of a, a, each player lines up uh, positionally, but I, he's probably one of the only few outside backs I can see uh, making a roster at this point. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of what this draft class has is some really interesting number nine types uh, when you get further down, uh, you know, obviously we've talked about Gordon Wild, but Daniel Wazowski is a guy from UNLV, and I know he's not going to play as outside back, but, um, you know, the the strength of the draft is not there. So if I'm DC United, unless, you know, I think the, the thing about the the MLS draft, which is so vastly different from the other sort of iterations of the North American, you know, sports player allocation process is that, you know, you're building a roster from players around the world, right? So, you know, if DC United gets a really good offer for GamTam, whatever, and wants to move down a couple spots, great. But I feel like they're best served and most likely to hit, you know, by sitting where they are. You're not going to have, you're going to have a pick of a generation Adidas player, uh, you know, and again, it depends on kind of what else is going on with their, their player acquisition. But, you know, I feel like the more I look at Mason Toy seems to make the most sense. So, um, you know, find them. I'm sticking. I'm sticking with it. But again, uh, I'm not then. And if there's, as I've said before, if there's one thing I'm guaranteed, it's to be wrong. So, yeah, um, I, I think that's the last time I'll make a joke. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's pivot now. Um, you mentioned you mentioned his name earlier. Uh, DC United and University of Maryland product uh, Eric Williamson uh, is not going to be in the draft, but he is leaving the Terps this year. He, like I said, a DC United Academy product. Um, the reporting is that DC United has offered him uh, a deal, a homegrown deal uh, to join the team. They may have even upped their initial offer uh, from Steve Goff's reporting. It sounds like that's the case. Nevertheless, Goff is reporting that the team thinks that Williamson is going to sign somewhere in Europe. The The latest rumor is uh, Schalke in Germany is interested in him, and he's very interested in, in Schalke, who employs his youth national team teammate, uh, Weston McKinney. Um, what, what's your take on, on the Williamson situation? Honestly, it's, a, it's a kind of a tough one to figure out because I'm just kind of not sure what kind of a player Williamson will be at the next level because... Um, and, you know, I think Jason's pressing in way more than I have live, but he's just going to be a really inconsistent player that has shown flashes of talent and can do great things. But at the same time, maybe he doesn't have a clear position, doesn't impact the game on a regular basis enough where you think, you know, if this guy floated in and out of games at Maryland, then what's he going to be like at the professional level? Now, you, you look at his performances at the U20 World Cup, where I, which I felt he was much, much better than I ever saw him. And again, Jason can elaborate on this. Like I never saw him play as composed or confident and try to really stamp us on the game. You know, and he fit in well to Tab Ramos' system with, you know, in the midfield three where they basically play without a creative midfielder where they just, you know, kind of press like crazy and uh, put pressure on the ball. And he fit really well into that. But, 
the Schalke rumor seems strikes me as a, a bit of a stretch for someone of you know who's a you know is a good promising player, but you know this isn't Weston McKinney at eighteen moving to Schalke. It's Eric Williamson who turns twenty one this year, being deemed ready to contribute and play in the Bundesliga. So you know maybe they, there's something going on there, whether it's a you know an, an agent throwing out you know oh he's linked to this big club, so DC up your offer or. Uh, I, I mean, I guess that's what's going on here, right? You know, or, you know, it's the the team is looking at him and my jaw will hit the floor if he signs with them. So, uh, you know, that's not to disparage Williamson as a player, but at the <laughs> same time, I think he has a good amount of to prove on the field. And, uh, you know, if you're DC United, yeah, it's kind of a bummer, but at the same time, um, uh, you know, where are you going to play him? I think, he, you know, maybe competes for time out, out wide and you lose that option and that's a little bit, of a downer because it's, uh, you know, outside of fullback uh, from where I'm sitting and I could be wrong. It's, it's another area of need, but uh, it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. Sky is falling moment, right? Yeah. Uh, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, though, you know, if, if Schalke really is making an offer also, there's like, there's nothing really DC United's going to say that's going to change that. Um, so that side of it is, is, you know, if that's the way it's going, then that's just the reality. Um, the other thing is, if you look at, if he's going to go abroad, uh, if he goes to a Scandinavian team, he's probably going to be getting a, maybe if not a starting role, then a, a frequently appearing role. And um, when you look at DC, the one thing they've got right now is a pretty deep midfield. Um, exactly, whether yeah. he's playing, whether he's playing wide or or um, in the middle, he still have to compete with a bunch of different. Um, I mean, if there's one thing DC's got right now, it's, you know, some strong midfielders that he's not going to start over Paul Areola. He's not going to start over Zoltan Stieber or Lucho Acosta, or um, if he, if he became an eight, he's not going to start ahead of uh, Ulysses Segura or Ian Harks or Russell Canals might be playing as an eight this year, um, depending on how good Junior Moreno is. So um, if the, you know, for short term, at least it just doesn't seem like he's going to, have a, an avenue to get into the lineup. And I, I almost feel like um, I didn't even mention Darren Maddox, who can play wide left. Um, that takes up one more spot. Um, so, yeah, it, it I did like, you know, coming into the offseason, I liked the idea of um, possibly giving Lloyd Sam's minutes uh, or at least some of them to Williamson. I thought he could have done a pretty good job as that sort of uh, outside in kind of winger that, that, you know, comes in and combines. Um, but, with Steber already in place to play that uh, Segura can play like that uh, off of the right wing. Um, it's not really a, an area of need. And at that point it's like, what good is it for the team to sign a player who's just going to be parked in Richmond all year? I mean, it's probably good for Richmond, but it's not really that good for Williamson who I think I, I think he needs, you know, higher level minutes um, with all due respect to the USL. I think he needs to be playing a little higher to improve as a player. So I don't really find myself blaming him to pursue these other deals. Um, there's also a chance that Scandinavian, like, you know, random Swedish club or whatever it is. Um, there's a pretty good chance that they're offering him more, more compensation because MLS has this bizarre and probably counterproductive rule to, to restrict how much a homegrown player can receive as a salary. Um, and so that's another, you know, another issue that, kind of, you know, we keep butting our head against uh, in American soccer is that we do these things that are sort of counter to uh, developing our young players. And this is one of them where 
if I'm Williamson and I've got to choose between, you know, 200 or so thousand plus uh, an apartment plus a car, um, which is usually covered by Scandinavian clubs, or if I'm looking at, you know, 150,000 and that's it from DC, um, not to mention if I play for DC, I'm not necessarily, I'm going to have a very hard time getting on the field. Um, and it's not going to be because I'm not trusted. It's because the players in front of me are just that good. Um, it is kind of, it's a bad, I guess it's a bad year for him to be coming out of, of college uh, as far as playing for DC United goes, but maybe it's a good year for him um, to find where, whatever it is, it does look pretty doubtful that he's going to end up in DC. And um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with Travis that this is not really um, a debacle uh, as much as it's just, sometimes that's the way things go. Uh, sometimes it's just a matter of timing. Yeah. I think there were conversations last year, but you know, if Williamson even had signed his involvement would be minimal because of his uh, under 20 world cup mm-hmm. and qualifying um, duties that he had. So Obviously, he's somebody that you know. You probably would imagine there would be injuries here and there, but again, as you said, like I look at DC and I think, well, they're pretty set in midfield and out wide. Maybe there's chances, and I, I think his lack of a clear, like, what is his position best suited in, whether that's MLS or the next level. I think figuring that out, and that that's never something you want to go through. I mean, you know, maybe maybe position changes are good, whatever, but it's never a it kind of makes the decision for him probably a little bit easier and maybe the decision for DC a little bit easier. Yeah. And, and even at Maryland, um, his position was not exactly, uh, set in stone. I, I was at one game, um, got every, every game in the last two years I've gone to has just been a disaster for Maryland. But, um, I actually, no, it was at the, uh, it was the NCAA tournament game that they lost. And I believe he played in four different positions for more than five minutes at a time. Like he wasn't just out there for, to chase a ball down. He was playing as a 10. Then they moved to four, three, three. He played on both wings. Um, they tried going back to the diamond. They left him as a forward. Um, so Sasha Sarovsky was using him all over the place. And that was because, you know, I've got this, you know, one of the best players on the field. Maybe I can move him around and, and make something happen. Um, but at the same time, if he had a clearly defined position, Sasha's probably not moving him all over the place. He's probably like, this is your spot. Everyone else can deal with uh, working around you. So um, it does speak to the fact that he can play a bunch of positions, but maybe he hasn't uh, made any one spot on the field his own yet. Yeah, and I think that kind of some that kind of discussion of Williamson also can – embody the draft as a whole, whether you're looking at um, MLS teams are have a good idea and, and want to, you know, put the best players in positions before the draft. And, you know, it's kind of a, you know, where can we add this one or two player that maybe will make the team or, you know, for a lot of these, a lot of the MLS teams, the, you know, especially even in the late first round, most of those guys are going to go with USL teams, the ones that operate that. And I think I, I didn't crunch the numbers, but I think it was like of the, even of the, you know, the 22 first round picks last year, like I think 16 are still around, but you know, five or six are generation Adidas or whatever, you know, Chris Adoyatsim, who I thought is a decent player is, you know, has to apparently mm-hmm. earn a spot again with DC. So, you know, this is not the, the apparatus. And you know, that's why I think, you know, if DC has two or three guys that they like and they just want to sit where they are in the draft, it makes plenty of sense because they're going to get who they want and who they think can, make a difference uh, both in the near and long term. 
I, I guess I, I do have one question just bubbled up right at the end. Um, you mentioned Chris Odoyachim. Um, if you're DC United and you have a shot at the scenario Ben talked about, about trading down and going after a fullback and maybe Tristan Blackman is still on the board, um, would you rather have Tristan Blackman or would you rather have Chris Odoyachim? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think that Blackman offers you a little bit more physically, just, you know, I think he's like, you know, six foot two, as much as I don't want to like boil these kids down to how big they are, because soccer is a much more savvy and nuanced game than that. Well, but that's what the, that's what a lot of the draft yeah, right. uh, scouting I'm, comes just, down to I'm, on draft day. It seems like it's like, well, it's I'm, physical I'm just trying traits. To, to put myself in the shoes of most MLS technical stats. Right. So, um, I, I, <laughs> I think Odoyachim could could do a job. You know, Blackman, we haven't seen go up against pro, so he could just fall flat on his face. And, uh, you know, he he played at a, at a program that wasn't quite the same stature. Not that, um, just not to detract Pacific or anything, but uh, I, he's somebody that DC probably hasn't scouted as much. But uh, honestly, it's a little bit of a coin flip, right? So uh, Odoyachim has a year as a pro under his belt. You know, that, that you tick a box for that. And then, uh, you know, Blackman's a notion thing in itself. I'd rather have Joe Martino, but that's kind of different. You're throwing in a few other mm-hmm. wrinkles. You know, he's a left back. I, I see him as a left back, international, et cetera, et cetera. I can accept that answer. That I, I'm fine with a um, uh, option number three. <laughs> you put Odoyatsum's uh, face a- on one side and Tristan Blackman's face on the other. Does that work for everyone? <laughs> now we're just yeah. getting creepy, that's Travis. Okay. <laughs> we went like from let's make a deal to yeah, that's what I was thinking. Or to Two Face really. from Batman. So would he flip a coin and then decide how tall he is yes. and how fast he is? That's that's a, all right. That's that's an acceptable answer, Travis. Thanks for coming back on the show. We always love having you here. Uh, tell our listeners where they can find you on the old internet. So uh, check out topdoorsoccer.com for all of our wonderful draft coverage over the next, what is it, nine days? Ten days. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Travis M. Clark. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to next year or sooner. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll have you sooner. Uh, with with well, DC United what? launching a, a USL team in 2019, maybe there'll they'll be some extra occasion to to have you on the show. I'm always on board for it, even though you guys record so late. <laughs> we do. We do. Uh, we record after the kids go to bed, which, and actually my, my son is waking up. So we're going to end the show right <laughs> now. Uh, thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. We are on uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash filibuster. If you are so inclined to support us financially, we're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website, the email is filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, wherever podcasts are available. We should be there. Um, mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. So for Jason and Ben, I'm thanking Travis one more time. I'm Adam, and we'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Face Off, starring Chris O'Doy and Tristan Blackwood. <laughs> <laughs>